welcome back to Boilers Extra. We're going old school this week as I am, uh, it's the mobile Boilers Extra as I'm on my way to Indianapolis International Airport to cover Purdue basketball in Hartford against Old Dominion in the NCAA tournament. I'm Nathan Baird, Journal and Courier, talking across the phone lines to Mike Carmen, Journal and Courier, who does not have a team to cover <laughs> in the basketball postseason this year. Um, I guess we can talk about that a little bit later, but, um, you know, Selection Sunday, not a lot of drama for Purdue. It was just whether they were going to be a three or whether they were going to be a four. And I think a lot of Purdue fans were pleasantly surprised that Purdue ended up a three. And I think it's not a bad draw for Purdue. I think Old Dominion's a solid team. And I know that people have made something of the fact that it's Villanova and they're relatively close to Hartford, I guess, at least compared to Purdue. Um, but this is not the Villanova of other years. I don't know that they're quite the power that they've been in the past. And uh, and they're a 16 for a reason. So uh, th- this sets up, I think, as a potentially a good draw for Purdue, at least for this first weekend. Yeah, I, I know. I, I know some people got bent out of shape when they lost to Minnesota, thinking they were going to drop a drop a seed line and, you know, they would not be given the, the respect for the regular season. But, uh, you know, I thought Purdue was probably a three going in to the Big Ten tournament, and they came out a three. I think that was pretty, I think that was pretty well set uh, before they even played. Now, if they would have won a game or two in the Big Ten tournament, they they probably would have slid up the three line a little bit, and you ha- you have a di- you have a different matchup here and there. But then again, based on eight Big Ten teams being in and some other factors, you might have ended up in the same place that that they're in right now. So. At the end of the day, they're a three seed. That's where they belong. That rewards their season. That takes everything into account. And now they got to go out and play. They've got to figure some things out. And Carson Edwards has to figure some things out uh, for them to advance. I mean, if Carson Edwards is uh, four for 17, it doesn't matter what Villanova team you play in the second round. You're probably not going to win. Uh, so, he needs to well, get his – in the first round, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, before you talk about Villanova, uh, you, you don't want to get snake bit by Old Dominion, which, you know, obviously they have some momentum coming out of their conference tournament, but, you know, Purdue would seem to have uh, the matchup inside to take care of that if if they if they use that uh, to, to its strengths coming up on uh, Thursday. We uh, later on the podcast will be joined by Ed Miller from the Virginia Pilot who's going to give us some – intel on Old Dominion and, and their season and, and what Purdue might expect from that matchup on Thursday. But, yeah, I, I don't know how much winning more in the Big Ten tournament would have affected Purdue as far as the seed. I, we don't want to give too bogged down in this because it's, it's what's behind us and we're, we're looking ahead. But I, I do think it's interesting that you look at, you know, Michigan State makes its run, beats Michigan wins that championship, and I don't know that it seemed to have a big effect on what seed they ended up getting. It certainly didn't really seem to help them get um, maybe a, a more favorable regional placement or anything like that. Um, and, and going into the tournament, I kind of wondered that, that and I, I wrote as much, that I don't know that, that there was going to be a lot of wiggle for Purdue just because I don't know that the committee places a big – I don't think the committee is swayed that much by normal results in a conference tournament. And I think that Minnesota beating Purdue on a neutral court is kind of a normal result because Minnesota is also an NCAA tournament team. Winning that game by two is 
not doesn't change doesn't change your narrative or your impression of Purdue's season very much. No, and I this, this, this is the this is the one area where the Big Ten hurts itself by playing their championship game on three thirty on Sunday because you, you're leaving the committee no wiggle room to to, to adjust uh, because Sunday's game got over I think twenty till six quarter till six and the bracket needs to come out at six and they can do different brackets based on different circumstances but for a while it looked like Michigan was gonna was gonna win that game. So the committee is trying to adjust during during this game. I think the Big Ten would do itself a lot of favors by trying to play its championship game Saturday night. But the Big Ten can do can request that and could want that. But at the end of the day, TV is going to want the Big Ten to lead into the oh, yeah. show because it, because of ratings and all that. And I think that's where Michigan State got screwed somewhat. Uh, but to me, it's, uh, from the committee standpoint. It would, it would have been an easy fix because all you have to do is flip-flop Michigan and Michigan State. They both go to Des Moines. It's just one goes to the west, the other one goes to the east. And I think from an optics standpoint, by just flipping those two, I don't think you would have had, you know, the, the complaining that you've had the last couple. Because this whole perception that the, 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 top, overall, the top number one seed should be paired with the the last number two, that has been thrown out the window for a long time. But in reality, you probably should try to get as close to that as you can. And I know that ge- geography rules the end of the day based on the committee, uh, but that that could have been a small tweak there. But, you know, I think, again, I think the Big Ten hurts itself a little bit. And Purdue could have been in the same position if they won two games and was playing on Sunday, that they were going to be in their spot ready to go regardless of what happened in that game. And, you know, the same with Michigan or the same whoever gets to the, the championship game. I just don't think they, they they help themselves a whole lot because of when the game is played. Well, like you said, it, it you know, it, Purdue has its own things to worry about regardless of, of what the matchups are this week. Uh, Old Dominion, uh, I think they're 26-8. and eight. They won the Conference USA and regular season tournament championships. Um, those last three wins in the conference tournament came by – a total of, uh, I think it was less than 10 points. So kind of like Purdue, they've found a way to grind out some wins this year, uh, maybe even more so than Purdue because this is a somewhat offensively challenged team. Like I said, we'll get into more specifics later with Ed Miller, but I, I, I am curious uh, how Purdue is going to look coming out on Thursday because the one benefit of losing early in the conference tournament is supposed to be that extra day or two of rest, that extra day or two of Preparation, by which I mean working on yourself, regardless of who you end up getting paired with. And one of, the, obviously, the narratives that came out of Big Ten Tournament was, what's the issue with Carson Edwards? And, um, you know, during the broadcast, it gets mentioned that he's been playing through some back soreness. And that's I think that's as far as I want to characterize the issue, because if it was what I would deem an injury, I don't think he would have been out there playing 34 minutes. Um, I watched him as he warmed up before that game without anyone uh, having mentioned that there might be some kind of physical ailment. And I, it looked to me like he was warming up the same way as always. Which, if you've ever seen him, he's got headphones in. He's kind of bouncing around. Um, and I, I'm watching this kind of become this this narrative of, of what's going on with him physically. And I'm not saying he isn't playing through some soreness, but I wonder if it's being 
and I'm not trying to be unfair to him, but if it's being a little overblown just because, again, he played 34 minutes. Uh, I see fans trying to equate this to, you know, Isaac Haas' elbow or Robbie Hummel's ACL, and it's a, it's a very different situation because I bet every team in this tournament has somebody who's playing through some kind of injury. I think you guys might remember a year ago Texas Tech had one of its best players who I believe was playing with a broken toe or, or, or something along those lines. Uh, some kind of uh, some kind of a fracture or a broken bone in his foot, and uh, that didn't stop them from winning uh, that Sweet 16 game and knocking Purdue out of the tournament. And I think this is what what's going on now with Purdue. After 34 games, is feeling some of that wear and tear, and now it's just part of the part of the sport, part of the competition that you find a way to help him manage that pain and and perform as well as he can. But he also has to help himself in that situation, too. Where, sure. Uh, he has to, whatever treatments he's getting, he has to, you know, do all those to 100%. He has to, you know, adjust maybe how he uh, runs the floor or whatever. But, you know, at some point that just kind of goes away. And you're right, the, the training staff's got to manage him, help him with whatever pain he's dealing with. And it, it's, it's playing some role in his shooting, but... You know, I don't know how much of a role it, it's it's playing. I mean, it's it's out there now, so people are going to say it and use it. But you know, this has been going on. You know, his his shooting drought has been going on for a long time, um, and it it would be hard just to pinpoint. Okay, this is the reason why, and you know, maybe at the end of the day, that is that is the reason. But um, but he can do some other things other than shoot to help his team win, and that's. I think that's the one thing that Purdue fans would like to see him to be a little bit more engaged in helping the other guys get to the basket or get some points and be the facilitator that he probably needs to be. But is he, is he going to, is he going to completely change who he is at this point of the year? Right. I, I think if he is hurt, number one, you need to be smart about how you're managing that. But, but number two, you can also, if, if it is affecting your shot, you don't have to shoot as much. You can find other ways to, to facilitate offense, which is not any different than the narrative we've kind of been talking about really all season with with him. Um, you know, I, I look at this matchup on paper, and I, I see a team that Purdue probably won't be too threatened by offensively, um, but they do have to offensively on their own have the right cohesion, the right balance and not get stuck in one of these games where they get really jump shot heavy and get out of their flow because the two things that the ODU can do pretty well are rebound and defend. I think they're, a, they're somewhere in the 200s in the Ken Palm ratings on offensive efficiency, but they're, I think, a top 50 team in defensive efficiency. And like I said, they've found a way to grind out close wins. This is a team that has some grit to it. It reminds me a little bit of sort of a low-major, mid-major Purdue in that they've you know, they may not check all the boxes at every position, but they do have some veteran savvy to them, and they seem to just do what it takes to win these games. Yeah, and that's the thing. Purdue, Purdue can't fall in love with its jump shots, and they got to keep attacking the basket, and they've got, you know, they got to rebound. And those are, you know, rebounding is such an important part of what Matt Painter coaches and teaches that they really have to win that battle. And, you know, you got to feel like if they win that battle, get some second-chance points, or at least limit Old Dominion to one shot, that Purdue will come out on top. So, 
it seems like a basic fundamental game for Purdue, take care of the things that your coach has preached all year, and then, you know, everything should fall into place, assuming that you can you can score enough points on the offensive end uh, to, to pull away. And, uh, and you know, it, 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 see, it seems simple, but that's kind of how I approach it, where, you know, if they just do the basic things that they've they've done most of the year, then they should come out on top. But this is the NCAA tournament, and it just takes a 10-0 run either to, to put you ahead or send you home. Before I turn things over to Ed Miller, I, I wanted just to kind of broach the subject of, Matt Painter brought up after the Big Ten tournament that, you know, everybody wants to win everything. Everybody wants to win the regular season championship and the Big Ten tournament. Uh, but in reality, the thing that people sometimes judge you on the most is, are you doing the NCAA tournament? And I, it, it's dawned on me this week, like, how, how, do you, how does what Purdue does this weekend and then potentially beyond ultimately play into how we're going to judge this season? Does Purdue have to get out of – this weekend, and if they don't, does this season look disappointing in retrospect? Uh, that it's, I guess, it's convoluted to say going into it. Does it look? Does it look disappointing in retrospect? But will it get? Will it? Will that be the narrative? And and I think that would be kind of uh, unfortunate if that happened because I think as we've all seen, the NCAA tournament is not that black and white, and you don't know. You don't even know yet what your second-round matchup is going to be. You don't know um, what circumstances might play out in a first-round game, as we saw last year with the Isaac Haas injury. And um, I'm just curious your thoughts, because obviously you've been doing this for a while too and, and have, I think, a similar perspective to me that sometimes maybe we make too much of an advancement in NCAA tournament when it's not necessarily an indicator of how, quote-unquote, great a team was in any given year. Yeah, to, to, with any season, there are parts. And with basketball, it's such a long season that, I mean, let's say Purdue doesn't get out of this weekend, and you're going to have a certain part of the fan base that's going to be upset that they didn't do well in the postseason again. But, okay, go back to December when you were 6-5. and five, um, right. And then look where you're at. Um, you know, I think, you know, with any season, there's going to be good and bad. And, you, you know, it's it's – it's you know it's it's not a spin but it's just how you're going to digest everything and then how it's going to come out. Yes, you'd like to get past the the first weekend of the NCAA tournament to to say that you were you know in the Sweet 16. But then when you get to the Sweet 16, well, well you'd like to get to the Elite Eight. So you know how much is too much? Uh, and for this team in particular, the fact that they were co Big Big Ten champions, I think I, I think maybe trump some other things that might come down the line because this was kind of an unexpected championship for this team um, based on how they started and based on how the Big Ten season played out a little bit. Um, and not that you should forget everything that happens in the next this weekend or the next weekend, but when you step back and look at everything, you know, I think winning the Big Ten is going to be probably something that takes precedent over – what happens in the NCAA tournament. All right. Well, I'm going to kick it over to Ed Miller from the Virginia Pilot now, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about what Purdue's going to see on Thursday. Joined now by Ed Miller. He covers Old Dominion for the Virginia Pilot newspaper. He's been on that beat for 
about a decade. Uh, uh, Ed, thanks for joining us. Maybe you can start with, uh, you know, you were covering this team the last time they went to the tournament in 2011. But from reading what you wrote last night, it sounds like, you know, this was kind of old hat for Purdue. It's, they knew what was coming. Um, they've known for a while they were going to be in the, in the tournament. But for ODU, this was clearly just a, a, a bigger deal last night. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is a pretty proud program. It's not really well-known nationally, but they've had some pretty decent success. And um, they went to four tournaments in seven years back in the uh, – from 2005 to 2011. So they kind of got used to it. They were in a different conference then. They were in the CAA uh, where VCU came out of uh, – George Mason came out of there when they made their Final Four run. So um, they joined Conference USA in 2014 and uh, had gotten close a couple times but hadn't gotten over that hump. So, yeah, it was a big deal. It's been eight years, and that's the longest uh, – equals the longest drought they had since they went to Division One in, like, 1976. So, yeah, very, very uh, big deal around here. People were very happy about it. Yeah, it's it's funny – they they maybe don't have as much of a national profile. In fact, I was at that same game you were in 2015, November 2015, when they played in uh, Connecticut, and had I completely forgotten about that for a while. But it's it's so odd to me that Purdue and ODU are now playing again in Connecticut for the second time in five years or, or whatever yeah, it is. But that, I was there, yeah, at Mohegan Sun, and uh, that was an interesting game. I mean, uh, ODU's uh, starting post guy at the time. Uh, it was really only about six seven, but pretty rugged. He was hurt, so they ended up starting like a six six walk on who played at Hampton Sydney, which is a Division three school here in Virginia, and he was going up against uh, Isaac Hass. So that that was not a good throw to you. They hung with him, as I recall. They hung with him for a little bit, and they just kind of got overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, twenty two point I think was the margin. Yeah, yeah. That was a you know that was a team a Purdue team led by you know Big Ten Player of the Year Caleb Swanigan who's in uh, Pro Bowl now and in a, and a, a, a team that was uh, last year seniors who are, are all playing Pro Bowl now too so uh, a pretty talented group um, I'm looking at this ODU team ODU's ODU team's results here uh, down the stretch and, and obviously the Conference USA tournament they won three games by whatever it was, a combined just eight or nine points, I think. Why why yeah. were they able to just grind out all of those victories? Um, and, and especially, I guess, why, um, you know, Western Kentucky being one of the best mid-majors in the country, they were able to, to sweep them this year. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, that's just kind of how they play. I mean, this is a team that is offensively challenged, let's just say. And Jeff Jones has used that term, so I don't feel uh, out of school using it. Um they go through some scoring droughts. They're not pretty offensively. They do defend uh, pretty ruggedly, and they're a good rebounding team. And They give a lot of effort, and they've got two seniors in uh, Ahmad Kaver and B.J. Stiff who have kind of been through the wars. So um, they were down in both those games in Frisco, Texas, um, down to Louisiana Tech by 11 and came back and hit a shot. Uh, Kaver hit a shot in the corner to win it. And then uh, they were down again to uh, UAB, in the uh, the next the semis and uh, came back and Xavier Green uh, converted a three point play. They had some luck in both cases in, in both games. Um, the other team's point guard uh, missed some key free throws. Uh, the first night it was the, the Louisiana Tech point guard missed two, and then the next night the uh, UAB point guard missed the front end of a one on one. And also in those games they got lucky a little bit too because. Uh, 
they uh, the other teams had chances and uh, actually got off pretty good shots. Uh, Louisiana Tech sprung a guy free. It was the same guy that missed those um, free throws, and he had a pretty good look at a three-pointer and, and missed it. And then the next night, um, there was a UAB uh, big guy uh, running free uh, for what would have been you know, a game-tying dunk, and the point guard uh, overthrew him and threw the ball out of bounds. So a little bit of luck. Um, and then the game against uh, Western Kentucky, you know, they pretty much had a handle on that game the whole whole way. Um, Western is really talented for this league. They've got a, a kid, Charles Bassey, who's like a mm-hmm. one-and-done player. Uh, they've got a bunch of, like, former top 100-type players that have made their way to Bowling Green, Kentucky, for one reason or another. And uh, ODU just kind of has matched up well with them. They're just, just a little tougher, a little more experienced, uh, you know, and, and uh, really the refs let them play uh, Saturday night, and that, that was definitely the ODU's advantage. You know, you've covered a lot of college basketball, you know, going back to the ACC and, and, and those programs. Can you describe, because for people who – who are Purdue fans who maybe only have the Big Ten experience, just how different it is in these conference tournaments where it is all or nothing and, and what that can mean for the team that then eventually comes out of that. That's a great point, yeah. Um, I used to cover the ACC tournament all the time, and it was kind of this big party. You know, yeah. like As Roy Williams said, it's like the world's biggest cocktail party. Roy didn't particularly like the tournament. Uh, Gary Williams didn't like it either because it was always in North Carolina, not in Maryland. Right. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, and when I started covering Old Dominion, they were in the Colonial, which was a really good little regional league uh, based like kind of out of Richmond. It had VCU, George Mason, ODU at the time. And, you know, the, the tournament there just had kind of a different feel. It was, you know, win or go home. And there were times when the CAA got more than one team in the uh, – in the uh, NCAAs, but there was just a lot more on the line. And certainly Conference USA tournament has, uh, you know, CUSA hasn't had more than one bid since Memphis left the league. So, uh, yeah, it's win, it's win or nothing. Um, and uh, Old Dominion had gotten close, but it's kind of a cruel reality of uh, this mid-major world. And, you know, it's if anything, I think it's gotten harder over the years for the mid-majors to get bids be, or get at large bids because uh, of scheduling, because of things like that. The, uh, mm-hmm. the larger schools are not as willing to play them. They're having more conference games. So they don't have the availability. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough when your whole season comes down to, you know, three games in, in March and the Old Dominion have been close and uh, they finally got over the hump. You know, one of the things that people would maybe quickly find out about ODU uh, as they were you know, doing some research is the um, the coach Jeff Jones and and the battle that he's been waging against prostate cancer. Can you kind of just give us what the status is on that and what that has meant to this team as either a rallying point or just something that's going on in, in the in the backdrop of uh, a tough season? Uh, yeah, Nathan. It's been you know it, it's kind of weird to, to say, but it's just kind of part of the the, the backdrop there and nobody really talks about it much you know he he kind of came out with this announcement back in september and um you know actually it had come back already the previous year and you wouldn't have known it uh by uh by the way jeff uh acted or his energy level or anything like that 
Um, he's you know he's a pretty private guy. He doesn't really enjoy talking about it, other than uh, you know the, he and his wife have a uh, startup foundation to raise money. So he's he's definitely willing to go to bat for that. But otherwise, he kind of you know he, I'm sure he'll get the questions in Hartford too because it's going to be a whole you know new batch of oh, media. Yeah. So, uh, but you know he, he's I think he's he's, he's taking treatments, and there's some days when he doesn't look as energetic as others but honestly he's out on the court at practicing uh, practice you know uh in the middle of things uh occasionally throws himself into uh a shooting drill or something you know by rebounding and so if you didn't know you know what you know you wouldn't think that there's anything uh going on with him it was actually last year he uh had a bad hip and so it was actually more noticeable because he'd be sitting at practice on a stool because his hip was killing him. So he actually got a hip uh, replacement, and so he's moving a lot better. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's a very serious thing. I mean, um, he, he announced three years ago that uh, he had uh, been diagnosed. He was treated, and I guess he thought they were out of the woods. And come to find out, um, he had a, a recurrence. So, uh, you know, he's dealing with it as best he can. You know, the players uh, – don't say a lot about it, but certainly they have, you know, they really uh, have a lot of love for Jeff and just the way that he's uh, kind of uh, been an example for them. I want to get some intel on the rest of this team. And you already mentioned uh, Amon Caver and BJ Stiff, and, and those guys are averaging about, I think, 34 a game combined, um, two guards who really shoulder the, the bulk of the scoring load for this team. Just how does that uh, play out in – with an offense that, as you said, otherwise doesn't necessarily have a lot of firepower. Yeah, lately it's been it's been a struggle because uh, B.J. Stiff has been really in a slump. I mean, ever since he was voted the Conference USA Player of the Year, and that the voting took place like uh, with two games left in the season, so he he didn't play well in those two games. He didn't play particularly well in the tournament either. Just couldn't find his shot. Uh, so it's been it's been tough. They have to look to find production. Caver has to do an awful lot. He's listed at six two. He's not even close to six two. He's probably six <laughs> feet. Uh, he's probably one hundred and seventy pounds. He's not a very big guy, but he's tough. Uh, and uh, you know, not a great pure shooter. He's kind of a shot maker. You know, he's not a guy that's going to go out and wow you with his form. But uh, it's really tough. They need other guys to contribute, and, and the key there is usually Xavier Green. If he can get going. He's the third guy, and you know, he really kind of carried them home against Western Kentucky. He scored nine straight uh, during the second half. They got a few other guys that might contribute here and there. Uh, Justice, Justice Kithcart, who transferred from Pitt, he can be streaky. He's really an energetic guy. Comes in just bouncing all over the place. Uh, they don't ever. They usually don't get much at all on the inside. Uh, which was why it was important. You know, Jeff was saying, we just need to get something. You know, these guys were giving us nothing. So against uh, Western and during the uh, tournament in general, Aaron Carver, who really doesn't look to score at all, he was a little bit more aggressive. He just seemed to uh, decide, you know, hey, I'm going to make them guard me because there are games where he just, you know, there's, there's people playing five feet off of him. And then uh, Elbert Robinson, who's a seven-foot-one transfer from LSU, a grad transfer. He had probably the game of his career, at least his old Dominion career, against Western. Uh, he had six points. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a lot, but it was you know, really important to them to, to at least establish that these guys were you know, out there because sometimes 
you get the impression they're playing three on five on offense because the two starters, Robinson and Carver, you know, combine for about four points a game. And what do they base this defensive philosophy on? Is this a team that's going to get, you know, come after you and, and turn up the pressure? Is it more just, you know, a solid man-to-man? What, what, what are they throwing at you? They like to say that they uh, build a wall. Um, you know, it's kind of similar to what Virginia does with their pack line defense. It's, yep. Jeff doesn't have that, that name, but he, they just like to build a wall. So they really try to wall off the lane and uh, keep keep teams uh, away from the basket. And, and uh, Occasionally, if you get a team that can really move the ball and shoot from three, that'll, you know, that that'll that'll hurt them. Uh they don't always close out as quick as they can. That's a way uh teams can, can attack them. Uh but they're pretty good packing it in and they you know they're mostly a man to man team. I mean Jeff would he was just one of these coaches that was like philosophically opposed to playing his own, you know, an old school guy, but they have thrown that in occasionally. Um like a one three one or something where you kind of extend on the wings and makes it harder. And they do have some length for for the team at this level, but basically they're a man to man team and they're gonna they're gonna grind you out. They don't really pressure at all. I mean they're not a team that's gonna pick up anybody. Uh, you know full court. Caver is a good individual defender. Like he uh, he can give the other team's point guard uh, trouble by pressuring the ball. You know kind of slowing him and so they don't start their offense quite so quick. And Green is a very good uh, individual defender also. He was on the all-defensive uh, team in Conference USA. And usually the best scorer in the other team, that's Xavier Green's assignment. Or the best, you know, the best uh, backcourt guy or wing. Uh, Stiff, I'd say, is an average defender. Uh, and Carver's pretty good. Carver's kind of their front court guy. So they got some guys that are committed. And, you know, Jeff is all about defense. I mean, they, that keeps them in games. And, you know, their slow pace, uh, you know, people always look at scoring defense, and that's a, that's really a product of pace a lot of times. But um, they, they're good. I mean, they're pretty good defensively. They're really committed to it, and they rebound. So, But they can be, as I said, really ugly offensively, and I think that's where Purdue, you know, obviously has a huge advantage offensively. All right. Well, we will see how it plays out late Thursday night in Hartford when Purdue plays Old Dominion. But, Thanks, Ed, for uh, joining us. Uh, people can read your work uh, at the Virginian Pilot and, and follow you on Twitter. I think it's at EdMillerVP. Yeah, that's right, that's Nick. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll see you out there. Okay. Thanks.